Chapter Twenty Two of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Twenty Two: A Man from the Sea. The days went on and healed Gerald's hurt and abated public interest in the event. On one of these days, Mister Bostock passing along the queen's road paused for a moment hesitatingly at mrs boringer's shop then he opened the door and went in inside the shop he stood and looked curiously about him his lustreless black eyes ranged rapidly over the long rows of shelves laden with brown paper packages over the innumerable little drawers in which strange seeds and wholesome roots lay hidden a faintly pungent aromatic odour hung over the place and his nostrils dilated under the balsamic influences lisbeth mrs boringer's ancient maid sat behind the counter solemnly knitting as bostock came in she glanced up at him keenly through her spectacles she knew him quite well by sight what might you be pleased to want mr bostock she asked with old-fashioned gravity and with a strong surrey accent bostock still taking in every detail of the place asked if mrs boringer was in if she was he wanted to see her to speak with her for a few minutes if she could spare the time lisbeth arose sheathing her needles in the knitting and moved to the back of the shop where the door was which led to the dwelling part of the house she pushed it open just enough to make room for her and passing through closed it behind her bostock was left alone as soon as the door closed behind Elizabeth, Bostock began to move cautiously about the little shop, opening this drawer and that drawer, and peering curiously into them, lifting up bundle after bundle from the shelves, and scrutinizing the neatly written labels, penned in Mrs. Boringer's fine sloping hand, which informed him of the names of their contents in a large box divided into many compartments that occupied a part of the long counter there were a great quantity of packages of seeds he lifted out package after package and read their names for they too were neatly labelled as he read it did not seem from the expression of his face as if the reading afforded him any special degree of information there was a book on the counter also a thick ancient volume a curious old herbal of the seventeenth century with a number of quaint plates of plants quaintly described bostock took up the book and opened it he was turning over its leaves and pausing to look at each plate in its turn when mrs boringer came into the shop mrs boringer's face was not a smiling face just then 
mrs boringer did not much like mr bostock she could not tell exactly why she did not like him she had heard nothing against him she knew nothing against him he came very little into her life there certainly was no valid reason for her dislike of him but the fact of her dislike was a perfectly clear fact to her and she did not try to argue herself out of it just because it might seem to be a little unreasonable it is an instinct she said to herself and instincts of that sort are as often right as wrong and even more often if you don't like a person you don't like that person and there is no use in arguing about it so mrs boringer being a practical woman made no particular effort to combat her dislike for mr bostock though the dislike was not keen enough to cause her any appreciable worry even when mr bostock was present and was not felt at all in his absence bostock put the book down on the counter and saluted mrs boringer mrs boringer nodded grimly and took lisbeth's seat behind the counter bostock apologized for looking at the book but excused himself on the ground that he found it so interesting you must know a great many very interesting things bostock said looking steadily at mrs boringer with the same curious absence of expression which his mask-like face habitually wore it must be a great privilege to you to feel that you have the power to do so much good in the world everybody ought to do some good in the world said mrs boringer sententiously that's what we are sent here for i suppose no doubt no doubt bostock assented waving his arm as if he were about to salute in fencing i thoroughly agree with you mrs boringer thoroughly it is often a cause of great regret to me that in my younger days i did not devote myself to the study of medicine i think now that i should have found it more useful than fencing more useful to myself and to others well if you will excuse my saying so said mrs boringer i really don't quite see what use in particular fencing is to any one oh don't you bostock began with a tone of pained surprise in his voice but mrs boringer waved him down and went on i know of course that lady scardale thinks a lot of it and it may be a fine exercise i dare say but it's no finer exercise than making hay which i did when i was a girl and i am a stronger woman now for all my fifty years than that girl of mine whom you teach fencing to mr bostock and very well she fences too very well indeed bostock interpolated that's neither here nor there said mrs boringer what i want to know is what's the good of teaching a parcel of girls or a parcel of men either for that matter how to handle a bit of a sword that nobody ever uses on the continent my dear mrs boringer bostock suggested oh on the continent 
answered mrs borringer with deep disdain on the continent men may make monkeys of themselves with skewers if they like but here in england we don't hold with such notions and if we don't hold with them what's the good of playing at holding with them that's what i ask and mrs borringer glared at mr bostock with an air of good-humoured defiance as if she felt convinced that she had completely annihilated him bostock smiled a deprecatory smile and waved his hand again as if he were physically parrying mrs borringer's attack well well he said i frankly admit that you are of more use to the world than i am here you sit surrounded by herbs that are only harmless and healing mrs borringer interrupted him that depends mr bostock that depends some of these herbs of mine are the deadliest things under heaven if they be rashly or wrongfully used is that so mr bostock asked with much surprise how very curious how very interesting surely there's nothing in all this array of innocent packages which could possibly do any harm to anything mrs borringer smiled grimly at the fencing-master's ignorance why there's enough in this shop to kill an army of elephants if you wanted to she nodded at mr bostock as she spoke emphatically mr bostock listened with quiet attention and he smiled slightly as he said luckily nobody does want to kill off an army of elephants or even a single elephant but surely mrs borringer an elephant would come to no harm if he swallowed the whole contents of your shop they might do him good i don't deny that but harm ah surely no not harm mrs borringer began to feel irritated by his urbane incredulity it seemed to cast a slight upon the potency of the herbs she loved so well and believed in so profoundly i should be sorry for any elephant who ate the contents of this drawer she said turning slightly round and touching one of the little row of drawers that ran along the wall behind her bostock leaned forward and read the inscription on the drawer verat alb what does that mean mrs borringer that's short for veratrum album which is the latin name of the white hellebore mrs borringer answered those are dried roots of it in there either infusion or powder from those dried roots would kill an elephant if you gave him enough of it well said mr bostock good-humouredly live and learn indeed what a pleasure it must be to you to know so many things mrs borringer i wish i had more general knowledge than i have outside fencing i don't know much of course i pick up a little knowledge here and there knocking about the world but not much mrs borringer did not like mr bostock but she was flattered none the less by his tribute to her learning 
after all she really was very well read in the law of herbs and would have thought friar lawrence in romeo and juliet the most agreeable companion in the world so she smiled and was about to say something when the street door behind bostock opened and captain raven entered the shop he shook hands warmly with mrs borringer who at once rose to welcome him glancing around the shop raven recognized bostock and nodded affably to him raven was always affable with every one on principle he said that it made the machinery of life move much more smoothly good day mrs borringer he said i have come over especially to see you so i hope you will give me some tea delighted captain said mrs borringer will you go upstairs i shall be with you in a few minutes captain raven nodded bostock watched him with something like interest in his eyes every one who knew anything of chelsea or at least of the little circle in chelsea which was associated with the culture college knew that captain raven had a very great admiration for miss lydia borringer people who did not know captain raven people who did not know mrs borringer wondered at the intimacy between lord wallington's son and the herbalist's daughter not that there was anything really surprising in it the stout yeoman stock of which mrs borringer came had always been more or less intimately associated with the house of raven the farmers of gemelgarth and the lords of wallington had been friends for generations lord wallington the captain's father as we have seen gave away susan gamel upon the occasion of her marriage with andrew borringer his lordship being then himself but newly married for the second time in their boyhood the young ravens were always in and out of the garth and john raven the scapegrace had always been very fond of baby lydia he was very fond of lydia now that lydia was no longer a baby and mrs borringer knew that that was the best thing about him she knew what nobody else knew that raven had begged the girl to marry him in all his queer drifting rather disreputable life raven had never met any one whom he cared for as he cared for lydia bostock knew something of all this from popular report from things that were said at the culture college from the bearing of lydia from the bearing of captain raven he knew also that while lord wallington would hardly be likely to approve of the match lord wallington's approval or disapproval was a matter of the most serene indifference to captain jackdaw the wallingtons had never loved each other much and the fact that lord wallington disliked any particular course of action was generally sufficient reason for john raven to take just that course bostock knew too through the papers that the position of captain raven had greatly altered he had been but a penniless younger son living as best he could by his wits glad enough to be the secretary of the voyagers club 
now through the news made public by the murder of seth chickering his position was entirely altered by the beginning of next year he would be a rich man an exceedingly rich man the detrimental of yesterday was the desirable match of to-morrow bostock knew that pressure would be brought to bear upon captain raven perhaps it was a wonder whether raven's fidelity would stand the test of his sudden wealth which made bostock eye him with such a patient curiosity but raven did not notice that bostock was watching him he had no idea of any thoughts that might be passing through bostock's mind it would not have occurred to raven that any thoughts of bostock's could possibly affect him in any way all right said raven i'll go up shall you be coming up presently certainly said mrs boringer i shall be coming up directly this was a decided hint to bostock but it had no perceptible effect upon him for he still sat there motionless looking at raven raven opened the door leading into the private rooms of the house but as he turned the handle he looked back i've been having one of those headaches again he said with a laugh that was partly apologetic mrs boringer looked disapproval and spoke it you young men she said you young men you are all alike no indeed raven protested eagerly and he glanced civilly at bostock as if willing to include him in the conversation as he was present we are not all alike are we mr bostock i really don't know bostock answered gravely i know so little of young men about town no really mrs boringer raven went on but i was a bit late the other night a sort of supper i had to give to fellows who heard the news about the money you know and who were pleased about it or who said they were pleased about it which comes to much the same thing in london life and we did keep it up a little oh the mildest of rackets but still a bit of a beastly headache the next morning well said mrs boringer what do you want me to do raven laughed you know can't you fix me up something as you did before you know i don't believe in doctors not a cent but you know all about these sort of things and might give me a powder or a draught or something that would fix me up to rights mrs boringer's stern expression relaxed as it always did after john raven had talked to her very well she said i'll see what can be done run upstairs and i'll find something for you raven laughed again nodded good-humouredly to bostock and passed out of the shop into the family mansion as he called the rest of the building when the door closed upon him mrs boringer again turned to bostock by the way mr bostock she said you haven't yet told me what you want of me i beg your pardon bostock replied 
i was so interested in your conversation that i let my purpose slip for the moment well i came on something of the same errand as captain raven mrs boringer glanced up at him in some surprise do you suffer from headaches much do you keep it up as he calls it bostock shook his head no indeed that is not at all my line where would my wrist and eye be for fencing in the morning if i kept it up at night no no mrs boringer it's not that he paused again paused for such a decided interval that mrs boringer found herself compelled to jog his memory by inquiring somewhat sharply what is it then well the fact is said bostock that of late i have been suffering a great deal from sleeplessness it's not pleasant mrs boringer to lie awake at night hour after hour hearing the clock strike again and again no it's not at all pleasant mrs boringer agreed i've been like that lately bostock continued unable to sleep lying away all night or nearly all night and seeing things faces and shapes coming out of the darkness dear me that's very unpleasant mrs boringer said while she had been listening to bostock she had been mixing one or two powders together from different receptacles powders which she carefully weighed and proportioned before she mixed them she put them into a little square of white paper folded the square of white paper up put it into an envelope and took up a pen that is very unpleasant indeed she went on as she began to write how long has this been going on bostock watching her could easily read what she was writing she wrote the name of captain raven and after it the words to be taken in a wine-glass of wine or water during dinner for some little time bostock answered i suppose i am out of sorts nerves a little upset or something i am like captain raven i am not a doctor's man but lady scardale spoke so warmly about your skill that i thought perhaps you might be able to do something for me mrs boringer did not like mr bostock but she had a professional sympathy for all persons requiring medical aid and a natural sympathy for all persons in trouble moreover for human nature at its best is weak she was always flattered at being appealed to for the aid of those healing herbs in which she so devoutly believed well she said i dare say i could mix you something that would certainly soothe you and certainly do you no harm it would be very kind of you bostock murmured not at all not at all said mrs boringer if you'll wait a moment i'll just go upstairs and refer to my big book this big book was a huge manuscript volume in which mrs boringer entered methodically the sum of all her knowledge it was really a very remarkable storehouse of information 
i am in no hurry said bostock politely i will wait if you will allow i shan't be five minutes mrs bourne answered and she hurried out of the room and up the stairs she was gone more than five minutes however but when she came back bostock was still sitting there slowly turning over the leaves of the old herbal and studying the pictures with the greatest care mrs borringer handed bostock a small package if you take one of those powders in water just before going to bed i think you will find that it has a soothing effect she said bostock thanked her he got up put the package into the breast-pocket of his frock-coat shook hands with mrs borringer and passed out of the shop he must have been very anxious for a sleeping draught for there was an unwonted look of pleasure in his face as he stepped into the street he turned to his left and walked a little way thoughtfully at the corner of the street there was a public-house and against the door of the public-house a man was leaning the man was dressed in a seafaring fashion and looked like a sailor the skin of his hands was very brown and so was the skin of his face though that was cast into deep shadow by the hat which was tilted forward over his eyes bostock did not notice the man he was too much occupied with his own thoughts which appeared to be agreeable but the man noticed bostock carefully under the brim of the tilted hat a pair of keen brown eyes scrutinized his face his figure his bearing the keen brown eyes followed him as he walked slowly down along by the pleasant hospital gardens filled just then with young men playing cricket so long as bostock was in sight the keen brown eyes followed him when he was out of sight the seafaring man shook himself free from the door-post against which he was resting and turning walked back in the direction from which bostock had just come he walked very slowly so that it took him some seconds to reach the door of the herbalist's shop during those few seconds and while making those few paces he was evidently thinking profoundly over some problem which puzzled him considerably his hat which was tilted back now revealed a face browned and bronzed to a deep rich copper colour by long exposure to wild winds by long soaking in tropic suns he was a man of middle height sparely but very strongly made a man evidently of great strength a man who could use every ounce of strength to its best possible advantage it was not a handsome face but it was a very manly face and its fifty years were not inscribed in deep furrows on its surface at the door of the herbalist's shop he paused and looked in the door was a half-glass door and the sailor could see inside mrs borringer was still in the shop she was moving about putting one thing or another into order 
the sailor turned the handle pushed the door open and entered the shop at the sound of the opening door mrs boringer turned around sharply but the moment that she saw who the intruder was her features relaxed into a delighted smile she came forward with both hands extended took both the brown hands of the man in hers and said welcome hiram welcome when did you come back End of chapter twenty two